From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. We watch sports for the chance to see something spectacular, and that's exactly what happened at Katie Seashore Presley Stadium on Saturday night with one swing of Jordan Matthews' bat. While that sent softball out to Oklahoma City, baseball is finally back home as they open the NCAA tournament, and we'll start today's show by hearing from head coach Kevin O'Sullivan. Also, we'll cover softball's journey to the Women's College World Series, baseball's plan to reset, Jalen Hudson's return, and where the Matthews bomb ranks among great plays in Gator lore with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. But first, fans have waited all season long to find out if baseball has what it takes to go back-to-back in Omaha, and that journey finally begins this weekend. The Gators will open the NCAA tournament as the number one seed for an unprecedented third time with all the pressure and expectations that come with that firmly in place. Jeff Cardozo caught up with Sully on the eve of regionals, and he began by assessing the road that got them to this point. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been an interesting year. You know, we, we started the season, you know, with the bullseye on our back and, and played really well, you know, for just about uh, the whole season until, you know, last six, seven games. But um, awfully proud of what we've been able to accomplish. Obviously, we end up winning the SEC championship, I guess, for the fifth time and in 11 years, and we ended up being a, you know, the number one seed the third time, the only school in, in the country to do that. And I think we were, we've been the top eight national seed nine of the 11 years we've been here. So it's a lot to, you know, to take in and a lot to be proud of. But certainly, we're looking forward to getting back on the winning track this weekend. And um, everybody starts with a clean slate, and we're excited to get out on the field Friday afternoon. We obviously changed the start time on Friday to hopefully try to beat the rain so we don't have to go through similar situations that we did last year and we'll kick this thing off at noon and we've got a new season um, we've had a really good start to the week practice wise and um, just really excited to get these guys back out there and hopefully get uh, healthy as we uh, as we approach the regionals. Look at the league in general, 10 teams going, uh, Kentucky borderline of making it, which would have been a, a record 11 teams from the SEC. To to play that type of competition week in and week out certainly prepares you for this. Yeah, it certainly does. But, you know, unfortunately, or maybe the other way, the flip side of it, we don't take any of the six or seven last games into the <laughs> regional, and we certainly can't, you know, take the 19 straight series wins dating back to last year. I think it was uh, week five that we started that streak. So really nothing that's happened up to this point is going to be taken into this weekend. I think the biggest takeaway for us is not really being overly concerned about who we're playing, but really being more concerned about how we're playing. And it's certainly if we play like we have uh, throughout the year and we can you know, get back on the winning track this weekend and play really sound baseball, then we got as good a chance as anybody moving forward. And this was really the first time you guys faced adversity. And, and I know it's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. But how did you guys approach it as a coaching staff saying, you know, hey, we were good throughout the entire year, but now we might be scuffling or doing some things. that just the approach of, hey, let's get back home. Let's get try to just get back to normal. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, Jeff, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Saturday night was a long night, you know, after the tough LSU game. And a couple things. I, I think, we, you know, we won the league against Georgia on that Saturday. And... 
I knew going into the Mississippi State weekend, and we talked about about not losing our edge. And I think there's a couple things that happened. I think number one, we gave up the first game, you know, late in the ball game. Our bullpen gave it up, and which hadn't happened the entire year. So there's a little bit of a shock factor there. We usually don't lose games like that when we have a lead. And then obviously, you know, Brady comes up with a hamstring on Friday. So we got to scramble and make a change there pitching-wise and throw Jack. We fall behind, you know, 6 nothing. We were getting ready to take J.J. out of the game and and put Cal back in there to give him a rest. We have two outs, I think, in the fifth, and we walk the leadoff man, and then J.J. gets hit with a foul tip. So now all of a sudden now we've got two of our best players, you know, with Brady and, and, and J.J., you know, out. And I think that was a little bit of a shock. And then we jump out. On, on Saturday to a one nothing lead, we got the bases loaded to strike out, you know, to end the inning. And then the very first pitch in the bottom half of the first, you know, Mangum hits his first home run of the year and they tie the game up. And we just played from behind an awful lot that weekend and tried to put it behind us. And I thought, you know, obviously, you know, we did not play well against LSU. We won four to three, made some base running mistakes, made some errors that we normally don't make. And I think the draft obviously played a little bit of an issue. That's coming up next Monday. And there's a lot of things that kind of just came together all at the same time that, you know, obviously caused us not to play our best baseball. But, you know, I put my head together and started to put some thoughts down on paper. And it just so happened that Billy Donovan's in town, and he's going to come talk to the team today. And looking at their team from 06 and 07, I saw a lot of similarities. They they won it in 06 and then went 27-2, and two, you know, during the regular season and lost three of their last five before they went under a run and, and went back-to-back. Back. So I think there's a lot of similarities to what Billy had to go through. And I reached out to him, talked to him quite a bit, and – try to get some ideas and some thoughts. We've been trying to be a little bit creative this week and try to do some different things to get to get our mojo back, so to speak. So I think the guys have handled it fine. And I think the, the bottom line is, is we've just got to get Brady back. And he looked great. He's throwing a pen last Saturday. Um, he'll he'll be ready to go for the second game. And we're going to throw Tommy Mason game one and obviously Jackson Coar in game three. And, you know, I think the outing by Michael Byrne at, at LSU to close out the first game on that Wednesday, he was really sharp, was, was good for him. And like I said, I, I think just getting back home into the, you know, comfortable confines at home, I think, should should be a boost for us. And, you know, like I said, I'm really anxious to get this team back out on the field on Friday and, and hopefully playing Gator baseball like we have done, you know, most of the year. And I don't know if there's any similarities, but last year you guys get, get blown out against Arkansas there in Hoover. You come back home and obviously you play really well and somewhat maybe similar to what happened to LSU in the fog and the weirdness and you know, it's very strange still to, to think about that, but that's again behind you now. So it does give you that opportunity to look at that and say, okay, well, we overcame that last year. We can probably certainly do it again this year. Well, absolutely. And a lot of the main players that were a part of that team that won last year, you know, are, are still here. Mm-hmm. So they've been through a lot of the ups and downs. This is a different sport. You know, there's, you know, it, you're not going to go wire to wire number one. It's just not going to happen. There's just too many variables that, that play into our sport and you can't really predict or control you know when adversity is going to hit your team but you certainly can control what you're going to do moving forward and how you're going to kind of correct issues and problems and and get you know their mindset right and obviously you know if this were to happen you know in April it would have been a lot different but I think the time it happened um, after winning the SEC championship and getting swept at Mississippi State like we did the year before at Auburn but it was the first series of the mm-hmm. year so you know, I think the timing of it magnifies where we are as a team, but certainly, certainly we've played too many games 
um, and played so well all year long that I would anticipate our team to come out and, and, and regain their form. You mentioned the draft coming up, and I think your sport is certainly unique more than, than any other. Nobody has to deal with high school kids potentially leaving and not coming to college, and nobody really has to deal with while well, you guys are still trying to play. Uh, big league teams uh, trying to go out and, and get guys, and, and you've got three first-rounders. Heck, you got two guys that might be in the top ten. So trying to, to deal with all that and now being a part of this not only here at Florida but all your time uh, elsewhere in college, how do you deal with, with those guys this time of year and, and try to – have them forget about that and prepare for what a regional is. I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I don't know if you could tell them to forget it. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of yeah. dollars, and it's, it's just part of our sport, and the money goes up every year. And, and I mean, these young men, are they're, they're human, and financially their lives are going to change. And you're talking about five, six million dollars, you know, maybe even more. And I got, you know, we, we've got three guys that are, are going to sign for millions and millions of dollars. And you know, and that's not to talk about you know all the other players that are going to be drafted. I think we'll have probably up to eight players drafted. And you know, the other thing is, is been on the phone all week with our recruits for next year, yeah. trying to figure out who's coming, who looks like they're going to end up being high, too high of a draft, and it's going to be hard for them to turn down that type of money. So there's a lot of balls being juggled right now, and I've been through this year after year, but it's it's not easy to juggle. But the fact of the matter is, is you're trying to hold on to your recruits for next year. You're trying to help your, your players that you have. Try to stay as focused as they possibly can on the task at hand. But it's it, it's I think it's extremely unrealistic to expect our players to just not think about the draft because it's part of it. Sure. And it's, part of, it's, it's part of what they've always wanted to do. But I do trust our players that they are focused about the regional this weekend. And I think the draft is pretty much set at this point. I don't think anybody can hurt themselves. I think you know, the boards are put together and those guys have probably, you know, positioned themselves as well as they could have at this point. You mentioned Tommy Mason. He's now positioned himself to, to get the nod game one. And last year we saw the, the Tyler Dyson story and how, how important he was towards the, the stretch run. And, you know, throughout the year we've talked about somebody needing to step up, somebody being that guy. And you've always had that guy. And it looks like Tommy's been that guy. And Jack Lefwich has had some nice outings too. So it's nice to see a couple of freshmen really solidify themselves and become important factors now down the stretch. Yeah, I think Jack kind of came into his own midway through the year and it's taken Tommy a little bit longer to find his his place but um been really impressed with with Tommy and his the way he prepares himself for his outings and he pitched great at Mississippi State through I think you know one run run over six and a third and then obviously threw great at L, you know against LSU and in the tournament so I, if, if he can continue to throw the ball like he's been, then, then he'll give us a great chance on Friday for sure. Did you see something that clicked, or was it a point where maybe he's not trying to throw as hard, he's pitching a little more? Or what was the, the, the turn for him? Well, I think you know the biggest thing that he's mentioned to me is we've talked about you know the heartbeat. And I think what happens with these young guys, it, it, there comes certain points during the game that the anxiety level kind of raises a little bit, and they get a little bit anxious, and they get out of their delivery – you know, instead of being 1-2, it's 2-1, and they lose the count, and they get more into predictable counts, and the ball's elevated a little bit, and the command kind of goes sideways a little bit, and, and the innings just start to get away from them a little, you know. But I think Tommy spent a lot of time over the last three to four weeks really trying to control his emotions, stay stay in the moment, don't get too high, don't get too low, and just try to control 
the things that he can control, and that's his delivery and executing pitches. It's really that simple. And those are going to be some of the emotions for uh, the teams coming in here. Yeah, you know, no surprise that you get some teams from Florida, how great all those schools are. And you know, you're used to seeing a Florida Atlantic. You're used to seeing a Jacksonville. You saw them a couple times this year. So for those guys, um, you know, it's interesting because now this, this means a little bit more than maybe a midweek game. So they're going to come in here and, and, and play their best. Yeah, I, I've said this multiple times this year. I think this is the deepest the state has been. You, you, you look over there in Deland, you got Stetson who's mm-hmm. hosting, and then you got USF is certainly capable. And then, you know, UCF I thought was a regional caliber type team. And, you know, you've got FAU coming in here, and obviously JU's had a great year. And um, usually those teams, a lot of those teams, you know, have to win their tournament to get in. But, you know, USF and JU, uh, you know, they were at large teams. They, they earned it through their body of work throughout the year. So I think the, I think the state was really good this year. And um, certainly they're familiar with us and we're familiar with them. I don't think anybody's going to come in here intimidated or get caught up in, in the emotions of the regional. We played Columbia three games last year, so a lot of their players are back and, you know, they played on our field. So I think it's going to be a competitive field for sure. You know, every year you learn stuff. And, and you know, I remember a couple of years ago talking to you after Omaha and trying to go through some of the things that need to change or need to be different. So as you go throughout this year, are the things you learned about your team learned differently that, uh, you know, take into the postseason? It's easy to, to look back on things and what could I have done differently to prepare our team for this, you know, these last six or seven games that just didn't foresee it coming. Maybe try to create a little bit more sense of an urgency um, with this team at some point along the way. But, Quite frankly, they never really gave me a reason to. We won every single yeah. series, and things we were playing so loose and confidently throughout the year. And I think the way everything kind of came together at the end, and the timing of it, and a couple of injuries, and you know, I, I think the biggest thing that maybe hurt this team down the stretch is just the routine. And with Singer taking the ball every Friday night, um, I think we're eight and one in SEC play when he started those games and it just always got us off to a good start and we were always feeling good about ourselves and when that guy who kind of takes charge on the mound uh, the first game of a series you don't have him it, it kind of throws you out of your routine and I think it's a valuable lesson for all of us but certainly having him back this weekend is a, is a huge shot in the arm and you know like I said I, I, this is a really good team we just went, went through a stretch where we didn't play very well in, in all phases we didn't pitch very well we didn't play very good defense we didn't swing the bats offensively like we have all year and we didn't run the bases very well and um, like I said I'm looking forward to us getting back playing really sound baseball this weekend yeah. a lot of Gator fans looking forward to uh, to seeing you guys out there on Friday Saturday and Sunday for the regional and again no you got a lot of baseball left in you yeah we're you know, like I said we, we've accomplished a lot and I'm, I'm awfully proud of our players and, and what they've been able to accomplish but you know, you're, you're ultimately judging how you play in the postseason. And we're going to get back to doing what we've been doing all year long. And like I said, looking forward to having the Gator fans come out at, at, at noon on uh, on Friday. And um, you get behind our team and hopefully make a huge run here in the postseason. All right, Sully, thanks. All right, thanks, Jeff. Super regionals are an exercise in nail-biting, where the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat are taken to an extreme level. That played out over the weekend in Gainesville as the Gators and Aggies threw punch after punch until only one was left standing. Ultimately, one swing separated the two, with Jordan Matthews etching her name in the record books in the process. To open this week's roundtable, Chris Harry and Scott Carter broke down that moment and the events that led to it. Texas A&M had Florida on the ropes in game one and just kind of did a little bitty uh, meltdown in the seventh inning. A couple errors uh, by the shortstop, a couple walks, 
And of course, uh, a, a walk-off walk um, gives Florida, you know, allows Florida to come back two runs down in the in the bottom of seventh to take game one. Next day, Florida has a two-run lead in the fifth when Tori Vidalis, who's uh, she's just absolutely torture a ball up from Elisa Casio for a three-run homer. Again, Florida had a two-run lead. Next thing, now they're behind, and uh, they can't come back to tie that game and go to a decisive game. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Tori Vidalis uh, comes up, two outs, tying run on base, and almost puts the ball in the exact identical place. She put it the night before in center field off Alicia Casio. Um, Tim Walton really beat himself up on that whole uh, in the whole aftermath of that game, saying I never should have uh, had Alicia Casio facing her after last night. They'd even talked about it. He and Jen Rocha, the pitching coach, had talked about it and decided they weren't going to let it happen. And for some reason, and he can't explain why, he let her face her, and uh, the Dallas made her pay. But um, that's all the stuff that led up to that moment. And uh, Florida's behind by a run going in the bottom of the seventh. Amanda Lorenz draws the leadoff walk. Uh, Nicole DeWitt flies out. Kaylee Kavistad piles on with, with her single-season walk record. She gets on base. Janelle Wheaton, cleanup hitter. She had a two-run RBI earlier in the day, two-run RBI single the, the day before. She strikes out looking on a questionable pitch. Here comes Jordan Matthews, left-hander, freshman. That's a lot of pressure on this young lady. And my goodness gracious, the place is rocking. She fouls off three pitches and just absolutely jacks a ball off the scoreboard in left center field. The last swing, if you will, at Presley Stadium, as we know it, as we all know that $11 million renovation is coming. But uh, what a way to walk off the stadium. What a way to walk off your team. What a way to walk your team to Oklahoma City for the second year in a row. The place was bedlam, obviously, as emotionally high as it was for the Gators. I mean, you saw the replays and people did just the, the collapse of emotions for the, in the Texas A&M dugout. Heartbreak for them, but uh, that's what happens this time of year. Um, but just an amazing, amazing clutch play after, you know, Florida had every reason to kind of think, oh, God, this this, this isn't going to happen for us. And it, to me, it had a lot of the feel of that uh, two years ago with the uh, – uh, Alicia DeCasio against Georgia, that walk-off. That's how it kind of felt in the in the ballpark after Vidalis hit that home run in the top of the seventh. But uh, there's 21 outs for a reason, and uh, they came down to a, to a freshman, and uh, she made her mark on the program. People, anybody who was there, anyone who was watching, obviously aren't going to forget that for a long time. So there were over 2,000 fans packed into Presley Stadium on Saturday, and then some of them were, were in the outfield. They, they put them all over the place, and that included one Scott Carter. So, Scott, you, uh, you, you took a little bit of a venture out there, not just uh, in the, the comfy confines, the press box. What was it like watching the game from out there in, in, in right field? You know, it's fun, Adam. It's definitely a different vantage point from what I'm used to, but I knew that the press box was going to be packed. So with that in mind, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to walk around the stadium here and there. And anyway, I ended up just finding a nice spot in the outfield under those trees, shady out there. Gainesville Fire Department had a couple of big engines there behind me. They were they were up there watching on top of their ladders. So it was a festive atmosphere out there. They've got some bleachers set up. And you can imagine, Adam, the difference in uh, tone between the, the top of the seventh and the bottom of the seventh. You know, there was a guy out there. I, I, I Seriously, he, he was so dejected. He just paced head and hands. And uh, <laughs> I kind of got worried about him after that home run. Obviously, a diehard Gator softball fan. But then flash forward, I don't know, about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, 
Jordan Matthews uh, gives Gator Nation a moment that they will never forget. I mean, three-run walk-off home run to go to the College World Series and in the final game of Presley Stadium as we know it. And goodness, that same guy, Adam, he was running around again, but in a totally different mood. More often than not, uh, they don't end up as a fairy tale ending like uh, Janelle Wheaton called it afterward. And, uh, boy, Jordan Matthews, I mean, she uh, she wrote her uh, place in Gators lore. Uh, freshman from uh, Anaheim, California, Tim Walton talked about it afterward, how you know, she was a little bit under the radar out of high school because she had this devastating knee injury at the end of her, her high school career, her final game. But he said he's she's one of the best recruits that he's ever brought to Florida. And uh, Florida fans saw it. Now they'll get to see it in Oklahoma City. And probably just as exciting as everything I just said. Hopefully they should be able to see her for three more years. And you wrote a story about one of the most talked about things in that press conference, which was the bat that Matthews used. This is very, uh, it's very technical baseball <laughs> softball language when Tim Walton tells it. So, uh, if you can break down for us the layman's terms of why this was significant. Yeah, as he was talking, he mentioned something about a minus nine bat. And I think a couple of the people there looked at each other like, okay, what exactly is a minus nine <laughs> bat? You know, unfortunately, I, I'm not on a beer league softball team anymore. So, I've kind of, I'm out of that realm. So, uh, anyway. Afterward, he kind of addressed it again. It basically, in technical terms, you know, she uses a 34-inch bat, 24 ounces, which would be minus 10. Well, minus 9 is obviously a 34-inch, 25-ounce bat. So basically, she used a little heavier bat for that game and made the decision before the game. And the, the thinking behind that was just to get maybe a little bit more pop. A lot of fly balls were ending, you know, four feet short of the wall, uh, just get a little pop. And that, it's the same bat she used in high school, uh, but she hadn't used it as a freshman at Florida because she, her lower body after that knee injury, she was still not in top form, and it's taken her all season to get there. So using the, the little lighter bat throughout the season helped her uh, bat speed. But now she's getting her uh, lower body under, and she feels more comfortable. So she, she moved up a ounce of heavy bat, and you don't – some ways it's hard to think that matters that much, but if it matters mentally, if it makes a difference there, that's all that matters. Pretty good decision on her to change bats, and who knows if it happened with the other bat, but regardless, uh, she did what she needed to do. So now that Florida's in Oklahoma City, now it's about the matchups once you get there. And the last few years, it's been a lot of all-SEC showdowns for Florida. This year is no exception. It's going to be Georgia in that first game on Thursday night, Chris. And it's a, a very intriguing matchup And that Georgia is the only team that took two of three from the Gators in the SEC this year. So, you know, you look at this matchup, there's a lot of things that make it really challenging for Florida. And certainly the question is, how do they overcome some of those, especially pitching-wise, because they did struggle to shut down those Bulldog bats up in Athens. Yeah, if you closely examine the, the each of the three games that were in Athens in, in March, you look at a, a game one, that Friday night game, Gators lose 5-4. Kelly Barnhill gets a flag for an illegal pitch, which kind of uh, uh, irritated, obviously, the Florida dugout. Kelly Barnhill gets tagged for back-to-back-to-back solo home runs in the first inning as as Florida uh, falls behind early in that game. Gators come back and take the lead, but Alicia Casio comes in in relief later and uh, gives up a two-run walk-off homer. Gators lose 5-4. to The next day, uh, Barnhill's losing 3-1, to and I guess uh, Tim Walton opts to – give um, 
Natalie Lugo, little used pitcher, some reps in that game. Oh boy, she pitched one inning and the uh, Bulldogs tagged her for six runs. Uh, they put in Katie Cronister for one inning. She gave up, I believe, three hits and two more runs. Gators went loose that game, eleven to one. Um, then on the Sunday in the in the finale, just to try to salvage a game, the Gators roll Alicia Casio out. She's terrific actually in that game. Because the distance wins five to one, no earned runs, nine strikeouts, no walks. So it's kind of like a weird series there. But if you want to trace the problems really of surrendering home runs during the season, ill-timed home runs against their team, you can kind of go back to then. And obviously they're uh, going to have to prevent that from happening here in Oklahoma City because Georgia's going to be confident. Like you said, it's the only team that uh, that Florida lost to in a in a series. Uh, they're the seventh seed for a reason. They're a very very good team. Having said that, they're obviously uh, uh, Florida put together a better season overall, winning the SEC regular season and the postseason tournament. So a winnable first game for both teams, but uh, it's going to have a lot of SEC flavor and uh, elements of familiarity there also. And you can say that about the second game, too, because if should Florida be fortunate enough to win that game, it's possible their uh, next opponent would be Florida State in the second round. But we don't talk about second rounds until we play first rounds around here, Adam. You got you got to win. the first. <laughs> Yeah, we, we know we know better than that. We've fallen into that yeah. trap before. Uh, worth noting, too, a note on Georgia, their star pitcher, Brittany Gray, who really dominated Florida when they played back in March, she actually was lost for the season in early April. So obviously, Georgia still got to the College World Series. They still swept Tennessee, and they've been very impressive. But they are not the same team that they were when Florida played them. And when you're not the same team because you lose your star pitcher in the sport of softball, that is very significant. Yeah, I mean, she was 16 and one with a 0.48 ERA, 134 strikeouts, to just 23 walks. Tough loss for them, obviously, but you know you got to give them credit picking themselves up. Their two other pitchers, uh, Mary Wilson Avant and Kylie Bass, they combined to go uh, 27 and six uh, for the season. So they'll be the ones that will be carrying the torch for the Bulldogs in this here in Oklahoma City. So regardless of what happens against Georgia, Florida will play either UCLA or Florida State in the second round. And and that's right. not all the familiarity. I mean, if you look at the teams there, it's really the usual suspects. It's only the third time that the top eight national seeds have all made it there. So there's a lot of teams there that Florida is very familiar with, albeit only two SEC teams. We talked a week ago about the nine SEC teams and Supers. Only two of them were at home. Everyone on the road ended up losing. So it's not necessarily going to be an SEC team that Florida sees down the road. Maybe it's an Oklahoma who they run into, who they certainly know very well from a year ago. Yeah, and I would say just Oklahoma is the four seed in this bracket out here. But, you know, they're, the campus is, what, 45 minutes away um, they're back-to-back national champions. They've actually won three of the last five. So o- Oklahoma is, you know, I know they're the four seed Adam, but I got, I got to think they're the favorite. Uh, they return one of the best players in the country in Paige Parker. It's basically a, a home game for them with the campus about 45 minutes down the, down the way. They went 18 and 0 in their league. That may not speak so much to their league as it spe- as it speaks to them. But I, I was just going down their their statistics, and uh, uh, they have a freshman by the name of Jocelyn. Alo from Hawaii. She originally committed to Cal. I was reading a little bit about her. She is, uh, well, let's just say she's a slugger, Adam. 28 homers, which is more than 136 Division One teams this season. Wow. And she's only struck out 18 times as a freshman. Uh, I imagine that there's a chance that uh, there'll be some attention on her this week. But uh, Florida, of course, went to the National Championship Series last year against Oklahoma. The epic, I believe it was 17 innings. There were so many innings, I forgot how many. How many? <laughs> I, think, I think it was 17. 
I think it was 17 innings, just a classic game last year where Florida came back twice to uh, force extra innings uh, last year. Um, but ultimately, guess what it was? It was a three-run homer surrendered by Ke- Kelly Barnhill. I believe in the in the 17th inning that ended up being the difference in in that game. I think it was a seven to four uh, Oklahoma win in the in game one, and and Oklahoma clinched it the next night. So there'll be a lot of uh, uh, Boomer Sooner fans running around here. But uh, the Gators usually have a nice little representation of their fans out here, and they've taken on something of a national following, especially with their back-to-back titles uh, of a couple years ago. So back in Oklahoma City, this is my fifth time. Adam wish you were here we could be hanging out together but I'll just soldier on on my own I guess (laughs) I I have no doubt that you will we've covered softball at the World Series from all angles now let's talk some baseball their road to uh, hopefully another trip to Omaha starts this week with regionals and Scott they they enter it in in kind of a a strange state of affairs at the moment Uh, a really tough trip to Mississippi State that led directly into a tough trip to the SEC tournament and now as we talked about last week there's still a lot of these unanswered questions and maybe even more of those questions because of their performance in Hoover. Yeah, I mean, they lost six or seven. Uh, you just didn't see this coming, uh, Adam, with the way they breezed through the regular season. You're always going to battle this human nature. They Once they clinch the SEC uh, regular season crown, I mean, I think Sully knew in a way because he mentioned it after that win against Georgia here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he, one of his talking points after the game to the media was, you know, you just got to stay sharp and keep these guys in the groove, playing like they have all season. And yet, you know, that's, even though he can have that message, I mean, it's ultimately up to the players once they take the field. And I think human nature maybe got a little best of them there. They dropped their guard a little bit, got swept at Mississippi State. They did the kind of regroup and beat LSU to open the SEC tournament. But he also had some other factors playing uh, into the slump. You know, Brady Singer misses a couple of starts. J.J. Schwartz has a hand fracture that kept him out of the lineup for a few games. Tyler Dyson's been unavailable. Uh, Will Dalton's been slumping. Uh, the defense hasn't been nearly as sharp as uh, we've seen all year. Uh, Michael Byrne had a couple of shaky outings at Mississippi State. So it was just a confluence of a lot of factors all at once, and the result, your number one team in the country all seasons lost 6-7 of seven going into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I wrote a line the other day, you know, there's no panic there, but I think we can say that, you know, there is concern because Deacon Lippitt, I thought, said it best after the win against LSU up in Hoover. Uh, you know, he says, hey, it is hard to turn that switch on and off. Once it goes off, it takes a while to turn back on and uh, – and to keep it on, you, you just got to show up every day mentally focused and ready uh, ready to tackle the task of the day. And uh, I would be surprised if they don't get out of their regional, even if J.J. Schwartz doesn't play. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see Singer probably certainly in one of the starts. Uh, Tommy Mace has done a really good job as the, the number three starter. His last couple outings, I think maybe we'll see him uh, against Columbia in the opener, uh, Jackson Coar. So they got the pitch and Byrne came back and had a couple of good outings or it's just a matter of getting everything back, uh, on the same page, uh, you know, playing well defensively, starting to hit the ball. I mean, they have slumped at the play. I think, uh, I think they're hitting two Oh six during this, uh, this seven game stretch where they've struggled. Their ERA is like six seventy nine. They made 10 errors in seven games after making 
36 in the first 52 games. So uh, all the numbers add up, uh, Adam. Uh, they're not good right now. But again, I think being back at home, uh, get a couple of guys healthy and just refocus them because now, I mean, this is what they've really been playing for. They've got a chance to get back to Omaha. We'll finally know uh, this weekend if they can turn that switch back on and if these last two weeks were just kind of an anomaly and uh, nothing really the, in, in the big picture to worry about. You mentioned Columbia there, the first opponent for Florida. It'll be the early game, actually, on Friday as the Gators try to avoid some of the rain delays that cause a lot of issues, especially for top seeds trying to play at night. Uh, but the other two teams there, let's talk a little bit about them. Florida, very familiar with some teams from in-state. You've got Jacksonville, you've got FAU, so certainly you've got not just the postseason factor, Scott, but teams that are in-state that really want to beat Florida anytime they play them. Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville, Florida Atlantic, uh, the Gators faced both of them during the regular season, uh, beat Florida Atlantic early in the season, beat Jacksonville once, and then Jacksonville came back over here in uh, mid-April and uh, upset the Gators in a midweek game. Both are, you know, a lot of talented players uh, on uh, both of those teams, a lot of players that some of these Gators, obviously being mostly a, a lineup made of Florida kids, uh, played in high school, so there's a lot of familiarity there. Um, Jacksonville, this is a big year for them. I mean, they're ranked uh, the 23rd best RPI in the country, so they come over here with a very talented team and uh, don't expect any of those games to be easy. Florida Atlantic and Jacksonville will square off uh, in the first game for each of those teams. And, of course, the Gators are a little even familiar with Columbia. Opened a season against them in 2017 down here. Took care of uh, – the lines pretty easily. Columbia, that's just a weird story for them to even be here because they started the season three and fifteen. Wow! And they they played their first eighteen games of the season on the road. But once they got into the Ivy League, they really turned it around and then won the uh, Ivy League championships and earned a uh, a berth into the uh, NCAA tournament. But they come in with a twenty and twenty eight record. So you you look at that and you you figure Florida is going to be uh, heavily favored, obviously. And then they'll eventually play one of those Florida schools uh, that they're both very familiar with. And then Florida Atlantic, you know, they beat the Gators before an NCAA tournament up in the Gainesville Regional. I think in 2003, they beat them in the first game. Then Florida came back and won uh, the championship. They've never knocked them out or anything, but they have some history there. Of course, these are a lot of different teams. A uh, long time ago, uh, these players, they don't care about any of that stuff, but they do know that from what they've seen uh, watching these guys and playing them this year, they're both talented teams. So if it does come down to the Gators having to get past either Jacksonville or Florida Atlantic to get out of the regional, they're, they're going to have to take that serious. So Florida is the number one overall seed despite the late season struggles and the possible super regional matchup if they get out of this regional, looking at either NC State or Auburn, both teams that Florida is very familiar with. So certainly be interesting to see if one of those matchups does come to fruition. Switching our attention to basketball and updating a story that we've been discussing for many weeks, even, I, I guess, months now, that is the will-he-or-won't-he story of Jalen Hudson. He declared for the draft but did not hire an agent, and then it was a question of would he stay in, would he return to school because he gave himself that option. Uh, at the end of a week now where a lot of big names have announced they're returning to school Florida fans, and I'm sure Mike White and his staff, very excited to hear that Jalen Hudson joined that chorus and will return for his senior season. 
Well, Jalen Hudson um, was the leading scorer on the team last year, 15.5 points a game. He grabbed almost four rebounds a game. Going into the season, there was a lot of questions about his ability to defend, and I think he got better. He's not a great defender by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he bought into uh, some of the things that were being asked of him. Um, I, I would say even more so than uh, than maybe some people would have, would have thought within the program, but he comes back and I'm not going to say it's a surprise. I was always kind of 50-50 on it, Adam, because as he went through his uh, the process, uh, you, you meet with various teams along the way and you meet with uh, and, you, and, you, and you have your workouts and what have you. And the, the feedback he was getting was lukewarm at best at some of these places. And I, I believe Jalen has a chance to either, to either graduate in August or after the first semester. So uh, there, there's something from his father's standpoint that that was uh, – something that he was saying that he, he maybe would have liked to see. And so now from, from a basketball standpoint, you welcome back Jalen Hudson. And I think uh, just looking at the, the roster the way it is, uh, he steps into that small forward spot where uh, we saw mostly when the Gators would play a conventional lineup where mostly Igor Kolachov played. Um, a lot of those games, obviously, when the Gators went small, they were playing uh, Igor at the four and Jalen at the three. Well, I think Keystone will probably go in this season at that four. Tavares Hayes at the five. Let's put Jalen Hudson right now at that three spot with Kayvon Allen at the two. And true freshman um, Andrew Nemhard uh, probably gets handed the ball when, as soon as he gets in on campus uh, for summer B. So um, you're talking about some scoring punch with Hudson and Kayvon Allen in the lineup, obviously. Now, that's, they were in the lineup together last year and didn't always mesh a lot. And uh, you have uh, Jalen Hudson and Igor Kolachov last year were two very willing shooters. OK, and a lot of times Kayvon would uh, defer to those guys and to the point of maybe being you know, frustrating sometimes for his teammates and maybe even for himself. I'm sure for himself. But it's up to Kayvon to get the shots. Jalen is going to get his shots. He is unafraid of getting his shots by taking Igor out of the mix. Now there's more shots for everybody, and hope that's going to be enough for Kay. It should be enough for Kayvon. Should be enough for Jalen Hudson. Should be enough for Keystone. But uh, uh, there's some freshmen coming in. They're obviously going to be woven into that mix and what have you. But all in all, this is a good thing. You're getting a, a, a highly skilled, highly explosive um, score back, uh, and Florida will be a handful, I would think, uh, offensively. Um, defensively, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, but I would imagine Jalen Hudson, if he can improve, put it this way, uh, Adam, if he can improve, take the steps that he did during his redshirt year uh, through this past season and to maybe take his defensive improvement to another level, I would imagine the uh, Gator Nation would be excited to be getting Jalen Hudson back. And he'll go into 2018-19 as a SEC preseason all-star candidate. And good for him. We wish him the best of luck. And, uh, you know, he's a good guy and he will be one of the faces of the team next season. Let's go to our PAT this week, and obviously the buzz in Gainesville has been about Jordan Matthews and the walk-off homer, the greatest moment in the history of that stadium and the history of Florida softball playing at home. There's now debate about, well, where does it rank compared to the Alley Gardner walk-off Grand Slam at the World Series? That's kind of a softball-only debate. I want to make this a little broader and ask you guys the moments you've experienced, you've had a lot of them, you've been in a lot of huge, huge games involving Gator teams. I want to know where it ranks and thinking about some other moments, plays, not just, well, when a team won a championship, but a moment of magic like that that really stands out and will ultimately uh, stand the test of time as well. Hmm. Um, can I give you two? You can give me as many as you want. 
<laughs> well, that was obviously a, a really cool one because I'm not saying it was like totally unexpected, but it was pretty damn unexpected. Uh, uh, the, just the circumstances of it all and the being Jordan Matthews and just, I tell you what, the place was jumping and it was alive. And, but, uh, I was at the Chris Chioza shot and what he did in, in a matter of four seconds and the, the degree of difficulty of the shot getting from point A to point B and the funky nature in which he released the ball and all that stuff that was and in Madison square garden. And let's, let's call it like it is also out of Jordan Matthews shot, put the, put this Gator team in the elite eight here in Oklahoma city. Chris Chioza's shot, put the Gators in the elite eight last year. So uh, absolute pulsating shot, given the venue, given the stakes and all that stuff. It was, it was overtime and what have you. I'm going to put that one right there, but I'll tell you what, I've always told people, that I was standing under the goalpost in the north end zone when Doug Johnson threw the pass to Jaquez Green against Florida State, which was undefeated at the time, which had the number one defense in the country. Florida was a 10.5-point underdog at home because they hadn't been able to complete a forward pass for nearly a month that year. And and that's the uh, that's the game that Steve Spur rolled out. Alternating quarterbacks, no one had ever seen it before. It was just bizarro world. And to see Doug, Doug Johnson threw the pass to Jaquez Green, 63 yards, threw it over Samari Roll, who was a number one draft pick. And I thought a jet airplane was landing inside the stadium. It was so freaking loud in there. <laughs> and and obviously the next play, uh, it got down to the 19-yard line. Uh, Fred Taylor had an 18-yard run the next play, and then the one-yard touchdown run the next play. And that was that was the game. Pavard had won the SEC four years in a row. They'd been beaten twice that year, once by LSU, once by Georgia. They had no chance to win the league. The only thing they could do to salvage their season was to ruin Florida State's season. That's exactly what happened. And I tell you what, 90,000 people in the stadium delighted in that that day. That's one of the most memorable. I mean, I've done a lot of football, uh, NFL football. Whatever. That's one of the most memorable plays I've, that I've ever seen in person. And having been on the field for that game at the end and to see the reaction of the Florida State sidelines to be down there, so see what's going on on the Florida sidelines that's the one that sticks out in, in my mind alongside that Chris Chioza play. And let's roll out. Let's go ahead and I'll roll Jordan Matthews in there as the, as the number three play. But uh, I bet if you pull the, uh, the young ladies over in, uh, over in the residence in over across, across town here in Oklahoma city, they might put Jordan Matthews play ahead of those other ones. I would <laughs> well, Adam, I mean, for me, just in terms of in my time here in this job, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, you know, in football, I came in, you got to remember, I came in right after Tebow left. So I wasn't here during like the Jarvis Moss block kick and, and some of those great moments the program had there. Jordan Matthews home run the other day, it certainly ranks right up near the top for me. I mean, I was at the Garden up in New York when uh, Chioza hit the shot against Wisconsin. Uh, that, that's as good as it gets. I was there, uh, you know, Felipe Franks, uh, his Hail Mary to, uh, Tyree Cleveland this season to beat Tennessee. But the one I really, I think that really sticks out the most for me, uh, just in, in this stretch that I've been back is, is the 2015 win against Tennessee. Will Greer hits Antonio Callaway late. And man, I, I mean, I've, you know, we've all been in magical moments in the swamp and that may be as, as exciting as it's been since I've been back in this job and uh, around the Gators, all these different sports, all these different teams. And, and man, I mean, you, you were, were you there? I was not there. I was at, uh, but I, I was at Jarvis Moss though. So I can, we can sort of patch our experiences together and say we've covered all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you know, and, and of course the game didn't have the significance of what happened Saturday at Presley Stadium or what happened when Jarvis Moss blocked that kick or, or what happened when Chioza hit the hit the buzzer beater. But still yet it signaled kind of the Gators after a tough stretch, maybe they were they were moving into a different level. And it, it proved true because they did go on and win the SEC East that year uh, for the first time in several years. And in that moment, in that pass, that play, uh, they certainly delivered a, an event, a moment that people will, you know, talk about. And that will go down as one of those uh, greatest uh, wins in the swamp. See, it's interesting. I think context is a big part of this because – there's the reaction when it happens, and uh-huh. then you have to look at, okay, well, where did that lead, right? So I think if Florida goes and wins the national championship, then the, the Matthews homer becomes even more significant because it allowed that to happen. The the Greer to Callaway moment, as you said, led to a, a berth in the SEC title game, but ultimately, you know, Florida got knocked around in the SEC title game. What did it ultimately mean? That's why, to me... The Jarvis Moss block holds a, a huge, huge place, maybe the top spot, just because that directly led to a national championship. A national championship does not happen if that play fails to occur. So I, I think that's an important part of the equation here. What happened in the moment and then what happened after that moment that helped put it in the, the, the proper context? No, I, I agree totally. Like We could talk to... 10 different people and maybe have 10 different answers here. You know, when I answer the question, I'm mainly referring to what I've witnessed in my time back sure. here. But I, I agree with you totally. If I had been at that stadium the night Jarvis Mox blocked that kick, that would probably be at my top two. It would certainly surpass, uh, you know, the, the Greer to Callaway touchdown. And, and even as fun and great as the Franks to Cleveland passed this in 2017, you know, it was really probably the highlight of the season, but highlights of four and seven seasons kind of get lost pretty quick. I was at Mike Miller's Butler shot too, and and I mean that we could have a conversation about that. Also, that's a first round game, and they end up playing in the national championship game. Right. So that that's a pretty significant qualifier there. But I mean, in terms of like Jarvis, well, I see your point, but also it's a blocked field goal. You know, that's 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 all it was. Well, I mean, it's. It's a three. It's a home run. You could argue that about any play is that if you look at it at its core of what it is, it's something rudimentary in the course of a game. It's about when it happens and what the significance is. Correct. But I'm just saying, I just think what Chioza had to do to make that shot, running the length of the court to get by the people he had to get by and to launch that shot, you know, I just think that was harder. Degree of difficulties, that was another conversation. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt that what Chioza did is more difficult than probably what anybody did. I mean, the, the degree of difficulty for Callaway, that's not that hard. What what Chioza did is hard for anybody to do. Right. He just happened to do it. Hopefully there will be more great moments to celebrate in the near future, and we know that Chris and Scott will be there to cover them. Make sure to follow them at Gators Scott. He will be at baseball this weekend, trying to see if Florida can get out of the regional. And, of course, at Gators, Chris, he is on the ground in Oklahoma City and has everything covered as the Gators look to get back to the finals for a second straight year. And they'll begin that trek on Thursday at night. Gentlemen, thank you so much, as always. We appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Talk to you next week. And that's going to do it for this week's show. 
If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow softball at the College World Series on ESPN and ESPN2, and watch baseball and regionals on ESPN3. For game times, scores, and more, make sure to visit FloridaGators.com. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in OKC.